Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It is episode 127. I am Mo. It is L with me as well. Um, should we just get the kind of necessary 20 seconds talking about how hot it is out of the way now? Let's just do it. It's really, 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 really hot. It is really, really, really hot. There, we've done it. Um, if you hear a bit of background noise, we've got fans running. Uh, we've got windows open. So apologies about that. But, um, you know, like we said, it's hot. There, we've said it. Uh, the latest issue of Metal Hammer is out right now, uh, featuring Rob Flynn from Machine Head, Lizzie Hell from Hailstorm, Jason Allen Butler from Fever 333, Jamie Morgan from Code Orange, and Christina Scabia from Lacuna Coil. Uh, what a brilliant motley crew of metal legends, past and present, that is. Uh, all in the new issue of Metal Hammer that's out right now. A lot of other cool stuff going on in there as well. Uh, congratulations as well to everyone involved in the European Metal Festival Alliance stuff that was happening over the weekend. Um, Bloodstock from the UK and a ton of other festivals from right across Europe got together to put together a really cool show that had uh, new specially recorded sets, old sets, um, a bunch of Q&As going on as well. Really, really good fun. Um, Ellen and I caught up with it quite a bit of it yesterday. Uh, what did you see? What did you enjoy? I really enjoyed Knitland. I thought that was really cool. They were just kind of all in a, a, like bare bones kind of room. They had a percussionist kind of sitting on a block and tapping on it and they had all their kind of different instruments. Um, and they're just a really interesting band. That was really cool to hear that. What else did I enjoy? Um, I, <laughs> I'm not sure if I enjoyed, but I was introduced to a band called Gutalax or Gutalax, Gutalax probably. Um, they're a grindcore band. The first song they played was called Anal Error. And nice. I looked them up and they're basically just a grindcore band that sing about like anuses and shit and stuff like that. <laughs> and, to sing about. I don't know if you saw, but beforehand, I, I don't know where this fit in. I was a bit lost. Like the set was um, like the Knitland one was especially filmed for this in a studio, but this Gutalax one was from um, Art Fest, seemingly, and they had this introduction beforehand where people had to do things like um, wash out a potty filled with what looked like excrements and eat food really quickly and do kind of like almost toilet related things. And I was like, did people do this before going to their set? I don't know. Maybe someone can fill me in because I'm missing it. That was weird though. That, yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that. I think Artfest was. Um, I I, li- I tried to look into this. I think Artfest was the kind of involved with the whole streaming thing because everything seemed to be listed under Artfest. Actually, everything was listed under Artfest. I'm glad you said that because as soon as I said it, I realised my error. Yeah, because I, um, I saw Sabaton <laughs> and that was definitely the Bloodstock set, but it still said Artfest. So I was like, what is this mysterious Artfest? Where is I think, it? I think they were one of the partners, and maybe they were just involved with the streaming. Yeah, yeah. and um, professionals that we are we probably should have like looked that up first of all it's anyway. fine well i did look it up but i couldn't find anything on it so anyway uh Gutalax, i was a bit taken aback by the the toilety run-up and the, that set and then uh venom inc they were pretty metal weren't they avatar was cool they had the big live show from avatar um what else did i like uh, Spark Crown probably had one of the coolest settings. Yeah, I saw Spark a, Crown. That was awesome. They had a venue that was really cool. It was somewhere with a load of pillars or columns, and it looked like they'd gone into some kind of like Greek ruin or something. It probably wasn't an old ruin. It was probably kind of a modern building, but it looked like really interesting, and they were quite intense. Enjoyed that. Uh, Spoil Engine from Belgium. They had a really cool female singer. Um, 
I don't say that to be like, oh, she was a lady. I just, she was really cool. I really enjoyed that set. Um, what else? I really enjoyed, um, I, I, most of the sets I saw were from the final day. Um, I saw a bit of Primordial. That was great. That was, a, that was an old festival set. I couldn't quite work out which festival it was from, but it looked like they had a big crowd wherever it was. Uh, and that was really like just uplifting, imperious, kind of defiant metal set. Um, really, really cool. I forgot how much I enjoyed Primordial, actually. Um, I think my favorite thing I saw, maybe inevitably, was Orange Goblin, just because they are the boys. One of the greatest British metal bands of all time. Um, they performed, uh, I found out, in uh, a special performance room um, at BIM in Brighton. Um, and BIM stands for, as obviously you know, British and Irish Modern Music Institute. Um, and uh, yeah, so they performed in an empty room there. Really simple setup, but it was really, really cool. Uh, nice varied set list. A good few tracks from Eulogy from the Dams, which is my favourite Orange Goblin album. And they finished up with Red Tide Rising, which is my favourite Orange Goblin song. So I enjoyed that very much. Um, yeah, I saw a bit of Spark Crown as well. That was cool. Uh, and yeah, and then I watched some of the um, I watched some of the the interviews as well. Um, I know that uh, El informed me that uh, Dom Lawson, Metal Hammer Legend, did a few of those, which is cool. Uh, but the ones I watched were done by a fella called Squatter, who did some lovely chats with people like Christina Scabia. Uh, I saw quite a cool one with um, Wednesday Thirteen. He had all his like horror toys in the background, so I got. I saw that as well. Yeah, I was like, he's got a collection, hasn't he? Yeah, really has. I was kind of popping to see some of the little little things he had there going on in the background. Um, he had a really cool chat um, with Winston from Parkway Drive about their Bloodstock set as well, which many people remember was kind of a bit touch and go because there was crazy weather going on and all the rest of it. And then they put on an absolute banger of a set. Um, so, yeah, I thought the whole thing was really well produced. That It was a very like, simple setup. I had the two kind of... Um, obviously, when it was streaming live, it would have been done a bit differently. But when you could go into it afterwards, it was very clearly separated between live shows and interviews. And you could kind of pick and choose what you wanted to watch. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. I thought it was really nicely done. And it can't have been easy for those bands to get into studios and do exclusive sets. But they all were executed really well. They all looked exceptionally professional and well thought out and you could tell the bands doing it wanted to do a really good job as well and had really thought about their atmosphere and you know a lot of them had specific intro tapes and specific lighting they did and they kind of <clears throat> excuse me did like an entrance where they came on and stuff so it really felt like an event to watch that and it was nice to just kind of settle into something and be like oh I know there's 40 minutes of this or whatever so if I want to watch this band I can just sit back and watch it you just kind of knew that that was how it was it was very clear what was happening what was going on and like you said I really enjoyed Orange Goblin as well not a particularly patriotic person but there are a lot of bands from um, the rest of Europe and it was kind of cool to be like yeah Orange Goblin they're ours they're good <laughs> definitely 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 a, an absolute jewel in the crown of British metal um, I did I did watch as I said as well um, some of Sabaton's uh, bloodstock headline set and it's still bewildering to see that band with such a big stage in front of so many people just fucking crazy uh, i struggled to watch that because it's so hot at the moment and there was so much pyro and watching the pyro i was like i can feel the heat on my skin so like line. doing it doing it in 3d or something it's like it, it was like special effects without them knowing <laughs> it would be this hot when i watched it setting off heat anxieties uh i mean <laughs> speaking of bloodstock as well an absolute just monster of an announcement in my opinion um merciful fates are going to be headlining bloodstock next year what a brilliant booking that is going to be i know a lot of people were maybe slightly uh bemused at the fact that merciful fate didn't seem to be booked 
for Bloodstock uh, this year uh, when they were doing a lot of other kind of European festivals. So it's so great to see that Bloodstock have got Merciful Fate in for next year. That is going to be an epic set. One of the most important and brilliant heavy metal bands of all time. Um, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Dimmu Borgit also announced they're no small fry either. Uh, so yeah, Bloodstock is looking absolutely marvellous. August 11th to 15th, 2021, it's all taking place. Five days of Bloodstock next year. That's like, that's a working week worth of Bloodstock. That's mental. Yeah, it's going to be insane. It's, you know, people talk about Bloodstock and other festivals like Download being destinations and places you want to go every year and have your holiday there instead of going somewhere else because it's just so much fun. And five days, that is a proper holiday. That is a proper, like, holiday of metal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone in the festival scene, um, like anywhere, has obviously been hit very hard by uh, coronavirus. And and uh, I have to take my hat off to Bloodstock for clearly trying to go all out to try and make something really special to kind of make up for, you know, a situation which wasn't their fault and that we didn't get a Bloodstock this year. But all going well next year is going to be pretty damn spectacular. Uh, we should shout out as well that um, legendary rock and metal producer Martin Birch passed away age 71 earlier this week. Uh, he was the producer behind a shit ton of legendary albums. I mean, this guy has one of the most amazing back catalogs in the history of heavy music. Um, he did the likes of Deep Purple's In Rock and Machine Head. Uh, he did Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. He did Iron Maiden's entire run of albums from Killers to Fear of the Dark. Uh, and he also did the likes of Fleetwood Mac and Whitesnake as well. Just an amazing, amazing uh, uh, legacy he left behind. Um, Iron Maiden released quite a cool statement from the band. Uh, and also from I made a manager, Rod Smallwood, who said, Martin was a fantastic guy who always shared a mutual respect with the band. He never, ever let us down in the studio. He was a true gentleman and he'll be hugely missed by everyone in the Maiden family. Um, yeah, a quite astonishing run of, uh, of uh, albums he was, uh, he was behind. Um, so yeah, rest in power, Martin. Uh, Metallica, this is exciting. Metallica have announced their first show of 2020. Tell me about this Metallica show, El. Well, they're taking part in a series called the Encore Drive-In Night Series, and they'll be playing a full set in California that will then be screened at drive-ins and outdoor theatres across North America on August the 29th. Hell yes. So as far as I can work out, they're going to record this full set at like a secret location somewhere uh, near Metallica HQ, and then it's going to be broadcast to crowds in drive-ins and you know theatres around America, which is pretty cool. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've had drive-through gigs in some countries, like Doro's done a drive-through gig, and various other bands done a drive-through gig. But this is interesting in that they're recording it in a secret location and then broadcasting the footage from the gig. So when you go to the drive-through, you're essentially watching a concert film rather than a concert. And I guess they have to do that with a band like Metallica because they're so big. You need a huge drive-in venue to accommodate a gig, a drive-in gig from them. So this is kind of the next best thing i guess and they have more control over how they're staging it if it's a recording of a show so it's going to be interesting how they do it and what that venue looks like and how you know whether they make any adjustments for the fact that it's essentially being recorded for a film rather than for rather than being a normal show you know yeah and i think that um as well like metallica are very uh if I had happened to recently talk to Metallica for something that might be or might not be coming up uh, in a couple of weeks' time, they might, I might know that they are very, very um, 
invested in making sure that they do everything as safely and as properly as is possible. And unfortunately, the coronavirus situation in America is still pretty fucking insane at the moment. Um, and so I'm sure they probably wouldn't want to do anything that was close to like a proper show anyway. Um, but I just, I love the fact that out of, uh, you know, I know as you said, Doro did a driving gig and, and many bands have done live streams and, and all sorts of stuff. But I love the fact that the first kind of big, all encompassing metal like event has come from Metallica. Like I've got, I just love the fact that they are still the first to just go, yeah, we want to do something. Let's do something. What can we do? Okay, let's do this. This is something a bit different. Let's experiment and try this out and see how this goes. Um, you know, they really didn't have to do that, but they, um, they posted that rehearsal footage of them running through creeping death and they just, they just genuinely seem to want to go out there and do stuff. They want to be active. They want to find out new ways to connect with people and, and do shit. And, um, because it's Metallica, I am, very very excited about this and i think it will look fucking awesome i hope that they release it at some point as well you know uh maybe they'll take it to other countries i don't know maybe they would end up having driving events in europe i don't know but it it's just so up in the air at the moment it's like not everywhere has infrastructure for this there's not many precedents have been set for how to execute something like this the tour that was meant to run in the uk was cancelled wasn't it It wasn't a drive-through tour but just the tour that was going to have Skindred was cancelled. So we're still probably struggling logistically with how we get people into one place and how that all works. Um, I was just talking with you about the Nottingham show that happened, um, this socially distanced arena that's been set up in Nottingham and um, some footage has come out there. And that's interesting to see, you know, they've got the platforms up and it's socially distant, but we're still in the very early stages of how this all works. It was Sam Fender, the show, the UK's first socially distanced gig in Newcastle. Um, so yeah, so interesting to see everyone innovate. And I would love it if that film came to the UK in some fashion, whether it was a drive-through or a cinema event, or if they just did a lot, you know, they just ran it on the internet a few months down the line and you could, you know, watch it that way. I'd like to see it basically is what I'm saying. Me too, <laughs> me, me too. I'm very glad that Metallica are kind of, uh, you know, active again. Obviously the, the S&M2 uh, home release is coming soon and now they're doing this as well. Um, I, I definitely feel like uh, Metallica are in a very good place at the moment. I mean, I know, of course, that James was in rehab fairly recently, but in terms of the general dynamic around the band and the way people feel about them, I just feel like it, it's it's an exciting time to be excited about Metallica. So I'm really looking forward to what they do with this show. Um, did you see this uh, this new track by Shavo from System of a Down? Um, yeah, North Kingsley, they're called. Kind of like, okay, well, it's kind of got a hip hop. I like it, basically, but it's also quite poppy. There's like definitely a bit in there that sounded like Destiny's Child's "Jumpin' Jumpin'" to me. Nice. <laughs> no, bad sure. no bad I'm, thing. I'm not sure that they would appreciate that, but I definitely noticed there was some kind of line in there, and I was like, "That's Destiny's Child," but it's completely different to System. And Shavo has said he didn't want to do anything that was like System because he's already still got System as a band, even though they're not making new music right now. And he wanted to do something that was a complete left turn. And, you know, essentially in doing that, people can't compare the bands either, can they? It's a fresh project. It's a fresh set of band members. It's a fresh concept. It must be nice to kind of do something completely different. And I quite like it. Yeah, I thought, I think it's all right. It's, 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 it's definitely that kind of thing where it's like, oh, your mate's trying to do hip hop because he likes hip hop. So now he wants to do a bit of hip hop. Um, but yeah, I think it's all right. I, I genuinely think it's all right. This, this, the single's called Like That. You can see the track and the video for it on the Metal Hammer website now. 
Um, and yeah, the band are called North Kingsley featuring Charvo from System. Um, interesting. Very interested to see if the album follows suit like that or if it's going to be a bit more wide ranging or, or what's going to go on. I just think it's cool when anyone does anything like this, you know, if, if he's not making music with System of a Down, that's not happening anytime soon. It's cool he's gone off and done something else. But you can't knock anyone for going and doing a new project and expressing themselves. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's, so, it's so interesting to me that kind of all the main members of System of a Down are all kind of out there doing stuff, but they just can't do it together. <laughs> so there we go. They need to get Phil Towel in, don't they? anybody anything can you imagine i would watch that movie if they literally did the same thing and they got them all in a room and started having therapy john just starts saying weird shit in the corner like shabo's lighting up i'd love to see it um oh i don't know if i would love to see it actually i think it would just depress me um oh yeah, but well they might work it out the therapy might help you never know well, if it leads to them doing a very dodgy album straight after, but then eventually, like 13 years later, coming back with a brilliant album, then I'll be all up for it. All they might learn it. from Metallica and not do something that sounds like it was recorded in a bin, so you never know. Weirdly, I was actually listening to the title track uh, from St. Anger earlier. It's an absolute banger of a song. Like, such a great tune. Yeah, I love that song. It's just I bit... wasn't... I actually like quite a lot of the songs on there so like me as well i think i think um you know i agree the production's a problem i don't think that's the only problem with it but yeah i think there's some great songs on that album but um you know that's all in the past now uh this week's album of the week uh, it's kind of like a mini album really um jonathan seltzer a reviews editor and regular presenter here on the podcast uh put this on our radar um it's a band called mercury circle and it features some of the minds behind the magnificent Swallow the Sun, uh, whose album from last year was um, one of our like very, very, very favourite albums of the year. Um, just trying to remember what that was called now. What was that called? When a Shadow is Forced Into the Light, a magnificent album. Uh, and yeah, this features, um, I think, at least one member from that band. Uh, and so if you're into Swallow the Sun, you've probably got a fairly good idea of the kind of thing this is going to be. It's not happy, happy, joy, joy, pop punk by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it is kind of uh, moody, melancholic, uh, atmospheric, ambient. Um, I don't know if I go as far as to say as it's doomy, but there's still some of those elements in there. Um, but it's got quite a lot of kind of proper goth stuff going on as well. Uh, what did you make of this little release, Elle? Yeah, I loved it. I literally loved it. I hadn't heard anything about it. And it was actually Jonathan who suggested we listen to it. And it's exactly the kind of thing that I like. It's gothy, it's synth-wavy, it's um, all the brainchild of Yanni Pehu. Is that how you pronounce his surname? Yanni Pehu, um, who's a producer and songwriter and musician from Helsinki. Um, he produced and toured on the last Swallow the Sun record, and he's done a little bit of his own work before. So he had a dark wave electronic band called Icon Crash, and they released their first album, Nude, in 2005, which I was listening to a little bit yesterday. And you can see how he's gone from that band to this band. That band are kind of a more sparse, kind of dark, wavy, electronic band, but with this kind of downbeat vibe. Whereas this album is very much that, but with kind of added textures. So it starts with a song that's um, kind of synthy and spacey and has strings on it and has this robotic voice and it sort of just throws you into I know we talk about this quite a lot on the podcast it throws you into another world but it kind of puts you on this 
other planet in a sense where you're kind of thinking what is going on here and you're sort of trying to grasp it and then it goes a bit nine inch nails and march the pigs and it gets really 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 dramatic that's the opener it's called oil of vitriol and then it goes into the beauty of agony and this one as soon as it started i was like this is a goth song it reminded me a lot of like the 80s the cure and the lyrics if you were so if you didn't like this kind of music you'd be like oh these lyrics are quite cheesy um but i really like this kind of music so it's like you know it's kind of indulgent gothic stuff about like relationships um and sort of you know you can tell from the, the song the beauty of agony is about sort of um sort of reveling in the darkness a bit and kind of finding the poetry in it and um yeah the other songs kind of go in a similar vein there's sort of some more night nailsy more kind of gothy stuff in there but it gets quite doomy as well like it gets quite doomy in the song the last fall and i was just thinking like the atmospherics in this are just really cool the song lyrics are very depressive it's probably the most overtly oppressive song on the record um, and then I went and after listening to this, I went and looked on their Facebook page and under genre, they've written new doom. So I think the idea is kind of to fuse together this dark wave, synthy, gothic-y, industrially stuff into this, what they call this new doom. It's just dark, poetic music. And it's the kind of stuff I really like. So I really like it. Yeah, wow, that was that was far more succinct and <laughs> more than I could sum it up. Uh, I thought this might be a bit of you when uh, Jonathan was describing it. It is, yeah. To us, and uh, and yeah, there's definitely a lot of I think layers in there that um, you picked out that I probably went straight in my head. The song but, "Black um, Flags" is so goth. He's just talking about like drowning, and then there's a lyric, and it says, "Did you hear the thunder? It is the devil's prayer." I was like, beautiful, pretty goth. It's like Absolutely. from the crow or something. So good. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for the kind of perfect antidote to this disgracefully hot weather, <laughs> then just like close all your curtains, maybe like tuck some ice under your bum or something and just sit in the <laughs> middle of the carpet and just listen to this, like listen to this and just let it kind of wave over you. Um, yeah, it's a really, really like seductive and kind of, uh, um, it's a heavy album, but it's not like, it's not like emotionally depressing or anything like that. It's gorgeous. It's like really like uh delicate and beautiful a lot of this records i think um, it's quite depressing if you like really pay attention to the lyrics because there are a lot of quite depressing lyrics on there but it's it's finding the beauty in them you know it's kind of not to glorify depression because i wouldn't want to do that at all but it's the gothic thing of kind of finding the beauty of the darkness i think i would yeah. say it's more like that wonderfully put uh yeah so the band is called mercury circle uh, the uh, the release, I think it's about five tracks, isn't it? The release is called The Dawn of Vitriol, out Friday on Noble Demon. Um, we should give a big shout out to a couple of other records as well. If you want something that's just fucking horrible, go and listen to the Primitive Man album. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, and if you want some really killer, uh, brutal UK death metal, go and check out that Ingested record. Um, our writer, Dom Lawson, has constantly been uh, talking to us about that album over the past few months. Uh, one of the most exciting things in the death metal scene right now, for sure. Uh, so yeah, go check out the uh, the uh, Ingested album as well. All out on Friday. Loads of good shit coming on. Uh, and speaking of good shit, we should take some questions from our wonderful readers and listeners. Um, don't forget, you can come hang out with us at facebook.com slash Metal Hammer Readers. 
uh, got loads of stuff. I mean, we're barely in there now. Like the kind of community is just taking care of itself, haven't they? Everyone's kind of doing all these debates and conversations and polls and all sorts of stuff going on in there. So we love to see you guys all chatting to each other uh, and posting us questions for the podcast. The first of which I realized I had misread when I prepared my answer <laughs> because Joe Fleischer asked, what's been the most uncomfortable reader question you've ever had to ask a high profile musician? I thought it just said question. I didn't realize it said reader question. The reader question, yeah. The reader question. I think the reason Joe's asked this is because Joe actually got a question um, into uh, Maria Brink recently where um, uh, Joe asked, uh, does Maria think that like three costume changes in 45 minutes is a bit much? <laughs> and Maria was kind of like a bit, you know, well, no, it's not that much at all. That's what I do. Um, but yeah, I have rarely had to do those people versus features myself. So I can't think of too many um, that have been a bit awkward. The only one I can think of is when I did Sharon Denardo and I put one in there that was talking about um, working, or was it with Fleur? Oh, I've stitched myself up now, I can't remember. I was talking to either Fleur or Sharon for one of these things and um, I had to kind of ask about collaborating with uh, the other one. So I was either talking to Fleur, asking to collaborate with Sharon, or I was talking about Sharon collaborating with Fleur. I can't remember which way around it was. Um, but I was a bit nervous about that because I didn't want to kind of throw in that kind of like, oh, all symphonic metal bands are exactly the same, blah, 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 blah. And there's a bit of a kind of, oh, well, you know, we might do something, we might not, we don't really know what's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that was it, really. Most most rock stars are actually a lot nicer than you think they're going to be, and it's kind of okay. Yeah, I mean, mine. I think I mentioned this recently on the podcast. My most obvious one was uh, recently had to ask Head from Corn when he last crapped his own pants. Oh yeah. I, I don't really mind asking questions like that because it's funny. Um, I don't think I've really had to ask anything particularly uncomfortable in terms of reader questions on Metal Hammer, and most people, if they know it's a reader question interview, they're quite good sports about it anyway. Um, and he gave quite a funny answer. And that was an uh, email question from Debs Copper, if she's listening to this. But yeah, um, he just gave a funny answer. And he was, he was actually sort of a bit upset that he couldn't think of an instance when he did crap his pants. He was like, trying to think of something for me. He's like, oh, maybe it did happen one day, but I can't remember it. And he kind of said that he was like um, a little bit constipated, actually. So that kind of stopped him from crapping his pants. But I'm really sorry, guys. I've just talked about loads of horrible things about like shit and stuff on this podcast. It's not my fault, though. That's other people's fault doing these things. It's just a bit of poo. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered that what my original answer to this was going to be um, in terms of most uncomfortable questions. Again, not been many times where I've been in an awkward situation with artists, to be honest. A lot of them tend to be pretty decent uh, people. But um, my, my other thought was Fleur again as well, Fleur from Nightwish, because uh, four years ago when I was at Heavy Montreal, I did an interview with her for the five minutes alone thing. And uh, as a brief aside, I can't remember what the, I think I asked her what the most metal album in her collection was. And then we got talking about Slayer and she kind of mentioned that she didn't really like Slayer very much. And our news team kind of took that and made it its own like kind of story as a part of another thing and it created this massive thing online of like oh floor Jansen doesn't like Slayer oh she's the fucker she's blah, 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 blah. people like maybe dare I say overreact a little bit um and so that when it never I happens though Merlin it never happens oh I know people on the internet overreacting but um yeah so and it caused this I don't want to say shitstorm but it caused a bit of a hoo-ha 
And uh, then when I actually did go to, so it must have been Floor, yeah. When I did go to to talk to Floor um, for this other piece that I did earlier this year, um, she walked in the room and saw me, and she kind of went, "Well, let's not talk about Slayer then, shall we?" And I was just like, "Um, okay, we won't then, Floor. Sorry about that, by the way." <laughs> but we kind of talked about it, and it was like, "Look, these things happen, and you, you know, you did say that thing, and we didn't, we didn't." kind of make it up and I but I appreciate it got blown out of context and we had a, actually had a really good um interesting conversation uh, after that some of which you can actually hear on a special bonus podcast that we did right at the start of lockdown um a few months back so you can track back and listen to that conversation with floor it was very very good uh I'm all about this next question um I'm gonna be a bit presumptuous so please don't judge me and say you might not have got you might not have shudder I don't have Shudder. I keep, I've got Netflix and then I'm not like massively into horror. And actually the thing that I keep meaning to subscribe to is Crunchyroll, but I haven't yet. So it's um, all like Japanese anime stuff. Oh, cool. I didn't even heard of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, But I only, I only have Netflix in terms of streaming entertainment and prime. So other other streaming services are available. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Zach Wells asked if we've got any Shudder recommendations. I, I got Shudder a few weeks back uh yeah it's it's great if, if, if anyone isn't aware of this it's a kind of horror uh channel dedicated horror channel that you can get as a kind of bolt on to prime um other streaming services are available uh and yeah i've been really enjoying other i have to shudder i have to say the one standout thing i have to recommend is this film i saw last week called host um it's a horror film that was filmed entirely over zoom like Elle and i are doing this podcast right now uh and um I know that that sounds like a bit of a tacky idea. And when I kind of saw the concept, like, oh, a horror story done over Zoom. Okay, well done. But I gave it a go anyway. Um, it's only an hour long and it's fucking great. It's basically a direct mashup of uh, Unfriended, which was um, kind of a similar idea, like a horror thing filmed over like, you know, a live, like a um, FaceTime or something like that. It's kind of a mixture of that and paranormal activity. Um, it's about a group of friends who basically all jump on Zoom and it's set in the pandemic that we're in right now. So it feels really pertinent. And there's some quite funny little bits in it in terms of people running out of the house, but then running back and remembering to put their mask on and running out again. And there's all these kind of funny little asides that make you feel like it's really part of where we're at right now. Uh, so they all get, they all, but they all jump on a Zoom together and they invite a, um, a medium into the Zoom with them to try and do like a seance over Zoom and things go wrong <laughs> and obviously it's one of those things like they're not they're all not taking it seriously and then shit starts to kick off um but it's really effective some genuinely great jump scares some genuinely creepy bits and the way they use some of the things that things like zoom and other platforms have in terms of like um you know animated backgrounds and all that kind of stuff they utilize these things in a really clever way that suddenly make them a bit freaky and weird and horrible um and it's not without its its failings. I think the problem with found footage horror is that there comes a point where you're just sat there going, why are you still holding the camera up or the phone up? Like, why aren't you just running? Um, and this obviously falls privy to that. But um, I think, yeah, as, a, as just a fun little hour-long film, it's one of the best things I've seen this year. I absolutely love it. Um, other things I've seen on Shudder, I saw Blood Machines, which is the, um, the uh, feature-length film uh scored by carpenter brute and kind of is a continuation of the turbo killer video uh that's absolutely awesome that's on shutter as well and then apart from that i've mainly been watching uh documentaries 
Um, so there's a good one called Cursed Films, which is kind of digging into the mythology behind films like The Exorcist, where people have died on set or shit's happened and it's a bit weird and crazy. There's some stuff that I didn't know about. Um, an excellent, really long Hellraiser uh, documentary called Leviathan that I really enjoyed. Um, the best thing I've probably seen on Shudder as a documentary is one called Horror Noir, which is about the history of black identity within horror films, which is really interesting and taught me a stuff that I had no idea about um, in some of the early horror movies. Um, and The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, which is a really fun kind of um, almost like a talk show type thing where he, you basically watch the horror film with him and then he brings on guests from the film and kind of interrupts the film to talk to them about certain bits and then carries it on. It's really, really cool. It's a really fun format. Uh, so yeah, that, that'll last you a couple of weeks, I reckon, all that stuff. How have you managed to fit that in? Because I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's mad, though. I, uh, last night, I started watching something really terrible, which everyone is talking about right now. I started watching Selling Sunset. Have you seen that? No. What's that? It's a reality show about a group of women who sell big, fancy, expensive properties up in the Hollywood Hills. But it's um, obviously scripted and they're all really bitchy to each other and mean. And they're all like, oh, this person's getting married. But like, does her fiance know what he's getting into? And is he using her for money? And somebody else like with a pregnancy and somebody else accidentally announcing it and everyone like stabbing each other in the back. And it's so obviously faked. Um, but it's it's kind of funny how like, you know, bitchy everyone is but I just wanted to watch it because I'd seen so many features online people talking about it I was like I, I know it's going to be terrible it's literally going to be trash tv but I just want to see what the fuss is about and it is terrible trash tv so there you go the trash tv that knows it's trash tv is sometimes better than trash tv that presents itself as like I'd rather watch something I would genuinely rather watch something like Geordie Shaw than like EastEnders like EastEnders presents itself as some kind of serious drama and it's a load of absolute nonsense. Whereas yeah, at least those other shows know what they are and it just is what it is. I'm actually quite crap at watching, um, despite all those things I've just said, I'm quite crap at watching TV shows. I've only just got around to watching Umbrella Academy. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't just because I'm not a huge MCR fan, but everyone actually says that Umbrella Academy is amazing. So Yeah, that's what put me off as well. Because most of the people I saw that were banging on about it, were, I knew were massive MCR fans. I was about like, mm, I'm, not, I'm not sure about this. But I started watching it and it is good. I think you have to be a bit predisposed to Marvel-esque things because it is basically about X-Men if Professor X was a dickhead. That's basically what they're Oh, really? Um, but there's loads of kind of time travel shenanigans thrown in as well. But that's basically the core idea of it. But I am enjoying it. And I kind of forgot that Robert Sheehan was in it. And he's just one of the best things ever. And I don't understand why he's not been in infinitely more stuff over the last 10 years, because he's amazing. I don't know who he is. Did you ever watch Misfits when that was on TV? No. Oh, okay. He was the, he was, he's the Irish actor in Misfits, and he was by far the breakout star of that show. But he's not done, like, a shitload of stuff since then. Like, he's done stuff, but this feels like it's got him back in his natural kind of whirlwind of charisma thing but yeah i enjoyed that i know that's not what zach asked for but that's quite good as well if you like comic booky type stuff do you want to do the next question now sure andy Poole asks if you were to set up a festival what type of venue would you like to have it in and what type of festival would it be such as a day-long industrial metal festival in a huge abandoned factory complex would be amazing it would be amazing i would go to that yeah i like I'd industrial i like factory complexes 
<laughs> I would highly recommend, Andy, if you're thinking about booking this thing, I'd highly recommend Printworks because uh, they only seem to do dance gigs, but that is pure like industrial factory vibes. It's literally in an abandoned Printworks factory and um, it makes a really cool vibe around the place. What's the place where they did Secret Cinema, the Star Wars edition? That was amazing. Oh, yeah. It was all, it was newly opened at the time as a club in London, in East London somewhere. And it's got all these, this massive space, like several massive spaces and little like breakout rooms. I can't remember what it was called, but that was amazing as well. I'm just trying to look that up right now. It was such a great space. I would love oh, to yeah. go to something like that. While I try to find um, where that is, why don't you tell me about your dream festival, Elle? <laughs> well, you actually just went really weird and zoomed out then. I hope it's not a horror film that we're living in. Did I? Um, yeah, you've done it a couple of times, so I didn't want to mention it. You know, I didn't want to break your flow. But um, yeah, like, I don't know. I struggled with this one because it felt like I started thinking quite small. And then I was like, hang on, there are infinite possibilities. So I really like festivals in town centres or city centres because I don't really like camping, don't really like mud. If you have something in a town centre, you can kind of go to it. You can also go to like the bars and the restaurants. You can stay in a hotel or whatever. Because um, I'm just prissy about like the dirt and the grime at festivals now. I just don't like it. So something like that would be cool. But then I remember last year, um, you know, there was a prog festival on a beach and having something. I've never been to a festival by the sea or on a beach. I think that must be so nice to go to something where you could, if it's warm, you could just like go in the ocean. So I think like if there was a combination, something like Barcelona or something, I don't know. I haven't researched the cities. If it could be like a city centre festival where you can also kind of go to the beach and also see some bands that would be a nice combination and i'd probably just literally pick a festival bill full of bands that i love so it'd probably be quite heavy on the um new metal and the progressive metal ends of things and the contemporary metal it would sort of be a mixture of those things basically just like what the hellfest lineup was going to be and probably still is the this the hellfest lineup looks amazing there's a lot of my favorite bands in there plus obviously a ton of bands from download and bloodstock which are amazing too so i'm pretty predictable i think i feel like i want to go for something mad like oh i don't know uh art rock festival on mars or something but <laughs> realistically city festival new metal progressive metal contemporary metal and somewhere that you can just go hang out and like put your toes in the sea or something that would be the dream I would go to your festival, especially in Barcelona, like wrap up at the fest and then go to a bollocks bar or something. It'd be brilliant. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I feel like it's all been done, really. There are literally festivals on the sea, in the sea, on the beach, in forests, up mountains, like um, ski slopes. There's, there's festivals fucking everywhere. Uh, so, and, and I started to kind of plan it out in my head. And I was like, well, I'd probably want something that has the kind of range of stuff to do like Glastonbury has. Um, but I'd maybe kind of narrow it down to something where you've got the vibe and you've got like all the cool kind of arts and crafty stuff and you've got all the really fun bars and all the kind of, um, you know, socially conscious areas of the festival. And then the lineup I'd want super varied. So I'd want Gajira on there and then I'd also want Dead Mouse on there. Um, and it would just be this and that and that. And then I kind of realised I was just inventing Glastonbury again. So I'm just going to go Glastonbury. <laughs> You could do one that's like slightly more manageable. So you could have less stages, but more of the music you like. Because if you're yeah. picking the bands, you don't need there to be like 
20 or 30 stages because you want to see all the bands right so you just have a couple of stages and then kind of shrink everything down make it a bit easier to get around yeah definitely that's what i do and to be absolutely honest i kind of feel like because obviously you know we are lucky to go to a lot of festivals we work a lot of festivals i think what i actually love most about glastonbury is being able to just kind of hang around and hang out and just walk around and just take everything in and just chill out because there's always something going on somewhere so I probably wouldn't even book like that many bands I wouldn't have like 30 bands across the weekend even I don't think I'd probably have like between three to five bands a day playing really good sets really varied stuff and then the rest of the time would just be going around all the bars going and checking out all the food going to all the cool different like bits and bobs that are going on around the festival and then having like a really good kind of almost like bar crawl of after band venues to go to afterwards that would be my dream oh god this made me really miss festivals having this conversation i know there are moments where you do really miss festivals like seeing stuff at the european metal festival alliance over the weekend or having a chat with someone about their favorite memories or like just listening to one of your favorite bands and being like oh imagine if they could play this live like definitely have moments like that where you do kind of get a bit of a flash of like nostalgia about it definitely um we will all be there again soon friends no doubt about it as i said we're already seeing uh you know socially distanced gigs and, and other stuff happening so we will get there again and it will feel quite magnificent when we do uh david summer asks what's your current album of the year nice and simple what's yours l something that i can't talk about yet which is really stupid so sorry yeah, yeah. I can't think what that is. You can think what it is because... Oh, is it something that you've been listening to for something that you're doing a bit of work on later today? Yes. Okay. You haven't told me that yet. All right, that's interesting. Wow, that's a big one. I think that's the front runner, if I'm honest. But the stuff that's out now that we've kind of talked about, um, I really love, obviously, Code Orange underneath, Catatonia, City Burials, Trivium, What the Dead Men Say. There's kind of a clutch of them that I just really love. I haven't done them in a list order yet. I'm going to save that pain for... Was it like October, November when we have to do our lists? And we September, all cry I think we start working on that. Yeah, we all cry over it and they go, oh, I don't know. I can't put them in order. Fucking, yeah. It's, it's been... It's been a, really good. It's been an amazing year <laughs> for new music. And as Elsa, there's more great, great stuff coming. Like really good fucking stuff coming from some big, big names as well. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, Code Orange Underneath is still the standout as far as the metal scene goes. But I think if it was most other years in the last five, six, seven years, I genuinely think that the Trivium album and the Oceans of Slumber album, which is out next month and is magnificent, I genuinely think either of those albums could have been my album of the year in a lot of other recent years. They are that fucking good. And even beyond that, yeah, you've got A.A. Williams, the Gavelletech album's amazing. Uh, The Backwash album's one of the coolest things I've heard all year. Sharp Tooth, Bleed From Within's up there as well. Just loads and loads of good shit. Um, but I also have to say, my very favourite album of 2020 might not actually be a heavy rock album because I think it might be the Rother Jaws album. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Um, which I don't think anyone listening to this will be like, oh, what app? Because loads of people in our world listen to hip hop and I think loads of people appreciate that Run The Jaws have quite a cool crossover with our world. But... Not only is it by far the best thing they've ever done, but in terms of like a timely, impactful, emotional, but still fucking just banging hip hop record, um, it's just got everything. 
Um, and right behind that, outside of the metal realm as well, now Elle will back me on this, is the Rina Sa- Sayawama album. Love uh, that album so much. Yeah, and, and I would actually say, if anyone's not listening to that record, if you like a bit of pop music, but it's also got like bits of like new metal in there and like stadium rock in there as well, it's a crazy mixed bag. Uh, that's the best pop album of 2020 for me. Me too. I'm obsessed with that record. I just can't stop playing it. I just really, really enjoy it. She's yeah. got some dates coming up next March as well. I'm hoping that they'll go ahead, but who knows? Let's go. See Rena, Rena. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic album. Right. That's about it for this week, guys. Stay Where's cool the out question, there. Merlin? What? Oh, yeah, Where's I did. Oh, my God. It's on the next page. Sorry, Al. Take us away. Tom Treasure asks Mastodon don't seem to get a lot of love on the podcast. I get the impression they aren't a festival favourite of yours. Why is that? What did you think of the new track? And are you looking forward to the new release and hopefully full album in 2021? I'm glad you spotted that because he, Tom really would think we hated Mastodon if we just ignored the question as well. <laughs> like, we don't talk about that, I love band. Mastodon, so... Yeah, I don't know where he's got this from. I think maybe because um, last week... you said something about them. Steve, last week on the podcast, gave them a bit of a kick-in for their less-than-stellar track record with... Um, festival performances which i kind of think is fair enough like i have seen mastodon be good at festivals but i have seen mastodon be quite bad at festivals as well to be honest i blame festival sound because sometimes it can just get carried away on the wind if you've got four vocalists yeah it's hard to orchestrate but i really love mastodon they're everything that i love in a metal band like they're heavy they're emotional they're a bit weird because all the best people are a bit weird i literally just did a feature with bron about him drawing a clown a day, which is in the issue right now, which I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed with the fact that he drew a clown a day and that all the clowns represent emotions. Like, I just love that so much. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I, th- I think you probably like Mastodon a bit more than I do. And I really, really like Mastodon. I mean, funnily enough, I, I put on The Hunter about two days ago for the first time in um, a little while. And it's just a phenomenal record. I mean, that one too of Crack the Sky into The Hunter is one of the kind of most varied and surprising, but just brilliant evolutions of any modern metal band, I think. Um, I loved, loved, I mean, obviously the older stuff is fantastic as well. We all know that, but I loved Emperor of Sand as well. I thought it was a brilliant album. That oh, was, I think that was their best. Yeah, but... very high. Oh, really? Is that your favourite? Cool. I think it's my favourite. I don't, you know, I always worry with things like this, whether it's most recency bias and, you know, if we were doing a Hall of Fame podcast, I'd go back from the beginning and listen to them in order and see if that's what I actually thought. And you know how much I hate pinning my opinion on something. Good shout (laughs) for a Hall of Fame podcast. Yeah, put that one on your notebook. Um, Tom also asks what we think about the new track, which is Fallen Torches. And I love it obviously i think it's very classic mastodon it's got scott kelly from neurosis in it who they're mates with and i did we do a feature once that was between those guys I we think. did we did it in um subterranean when we had subterranean in the feature that yeah. was something that Jonathan there's, put together there's like a little middle section that sort of sounds like sinister bells and it's like bring me in heal my heart break my hands and i'm like oh it's really like visceral and emotional and powerful and i'm into it yeah, no, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. Um, I, uh, I'm, you know, definitely interested to hear this uh, this kind of compilation record they've got coming up. Um, we definitely love Metal Hammer. Uh, obviously, we love Metal Hammer. We definitely love Mastodon <laughs> here at Metal Hammer. And we had them on the cover on the last album. And I think we might have had them on the cover. I don't know. We've had them on the cover a lot, basically. So we definitely love that band. Um, but, you know, when you love bands, it's okay to sometimes point out when they're not at their best. And I think... Yeah, Mastodon, I feel like Mastodon have still not had their definitive um, festival set. 
maybe that could be download over on that second stage next year. I think that could be a good spot for them. I also have to do a shout out just while we're in the reader questions section to Scott Situmple, who sent me some of his short stories. All very varied and interesting. So yeah, shout out to Scott. Keep writing. As we all know, well, as you and I know, Merlin, writing is fun. Writing is fun. We've actually got to do a bit more of it recently because uh, we've had to, because that's how we have to do the magazine right now. But uh, yeah, it's been fun to do a bit more of that for sure. Right now, Muggins here hasn't missed out any more questions. That is the, uh, the end of this week's show. Uh, I was the, uh, just right there, I was the Scotty Pippins, your Michael Jordan. Oh, nice. Someone's been watching the, the last dance. Giving you the assist. Nice. I like it. <laughs> also, shout out the Mighty Nets into the playoffs. Come on, we're going to have the Raptors. Um, that is it for this week's show. Uh, thank you for joining us, everybody. Next week, we unveil a brand new issue of Melt Hammer. Always our favorite time of the month. It is a fucking big one, as big as it gets. Uh, very exciting stuff. But in the meantime, stay cool out there and uh, look after each other. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.